turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and Matthew 7. In other words, we're going to begin in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you'll open first to Ephesians chapter 2 and then put a marker at Matthew chapter 7, all right? Our vision statement is not as catchy as a lot of vision statements. I, I grant you that. I understand that. But it's the vision God put in my heart when we started the church. So here's our vision statement. It is to see people saved, healed, set free, discipled, equipped, empowered, and serving. Now again, I told you it's not catchy. But I know this statement. Let me just go through it again. To see, I want to see every person saved truly saved. And then I want to see them healed physically and emotionally, but especially emotionally from past hurts because hurts are a stronghold for bondage. I want to see every person set free. God has a specific vision for your life. You will never accomplish it until you get saved, healed, and set free. And then we begin to disciple. So many times we try to disciple people that aren't healed and set free. And after we disciple people and they understand discipleship, then we can equip them and have them empowered and then serving in their gifts. So we're going to go through each of these. God will apply it, I promise you, to you specifically, to your life and to your heart. And the first week, we're going to talk about saved. What does it mean to be saved? I have a pastor friend of mine that uh, didn't grow up in church, be much like Pastor Craig that you heard his testimony, and he had never heard of Jesus. And when he was about eight or nine years old, his family went to New York City, and he was walking around New York City, the streets, and he saw a man that had a big billboard on the front and the back. You've seen people that wear those billboards, a sign, and it said, Jesus saves. And he said, I was a little boy, I I didn't even know who Jesus was. And he said, I thought to myself, I wonder what Jesus saves. And he thought, you know, I save pennies. Maybe Jesus saves pennies. Well, obviously, Jesus saves something much more valuable than pennies, and that's souls. But he'd never heard that. So, what does the word saved mean? And I want to show you a few verses here, and we're going to get to um, uh, Ephesians 2 in just a moment. Let me show you two verses before we get to Ephesians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, present tense, being saved, it is the power of God. Now, I want you to notice that, present tense, being saved. 1 Corinthians 3.15 says, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. That's future tense. Will be saved, yet so as through fire. And then Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 say, for by grace you have been saved. Now, y'all in Ephesians 2, by the way? Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved. Notice that's past tense, through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. I want to keep reading this because it's so important to what we're going to talk about. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. I just want you to notice that salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Let me say it another way. There will be no boasting in heaven. No one will be walking around in heaven and saying, I'm here because I got here. I want you to know that. I kept the faith. I was good enough. I did all the do's and didn't do the don'ts, and that's why I'm here. Every person in heaven will understand we are there completely, totally by the grace of God, and we responded to His grace. So, here's what we just read. 
those who are being saved, present tense, will be saved, future tense, and have been saved, past tense. Well, I have a question for you. Are you being saved, or will you be saved, or have you been saved? Let me tell you the answer. Yes. Yes. You will be saved, and you are being saved if you have been saved. But there is a past tense to the word save that we have to talk about and we have to understand that we have been saved. Now, the best way to understand this is that we are triune beings. In other words, we all have three parts, body, soul, and spirit. Our bodies will be saved. Our bodies will be saved in the resurrection. We'll get a new body, the Bible says, and our bodies will be perfect. You just can't believe what I'm going to look like in heaven. I'm going to get a great body finally in heaven because our bodies will be saved later in, in, when we get a resurrection. Right now, we are in a decaying body, and we believe in healing. We pray for healing. We have seen many, many people heal. But let me, let me just say something about that. Even if you get healed of something, you're still dying. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but every one of us in here are dying. At some point, we're going to die physically. Our bodies are decaying, so we, our bodies will be saved. Our souls, our mind, will, and emotions are being saved. Our souls are being transformed or renewed into the mind of Christ. James says, receive the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Now, in order to really understand this word saved, we have to understand the Greek word. The Greek word is sozo. It's actually spelled S-O-Z-O, but it's pronounced S-O-D-E, sod, zo, Z-O, sozo. And it means to be made whole, to be made whole in body, soul, and spirit, to actually be made perfect. One day we're going to have perfect bodies. Our souls are being perfected or made whole. But listen to me carefully. Our bodies will be saved. Our souls are being saved. Listen carefully. Our spirits have been saved. Past tense. If you've accepted what Jesus did on the cross for you, your spirit, if you've accepted Jesus, your spirit has a perfect relationship with God. Because Jesus paid the full price, as Pastor Todd said here at the South Lake Campus, the full price for our sins. So, we're going to talk about the word saved, and we're going to talk about the past tense part of it. What happens when a person gets saved, all right? And I'm going to do something differently this week that I don't do. It's going to shock all of you, but this week I have seven points. Yes, I know. It's amazing, isn't it? (laughs) But we'll be able to cover it uh, in the three short hours that we have, all right? (laughs) Let me tell you seven things about being saved, all right? Here's number one. It's a gift. It's a gift. We have to, have to, have to get this through our heads because if we don't, it messes up everything everything in our walk with God. If we don't understand, salvation is a gift. Let me say it another way. It is not a goal to achieve. It is a gift to receive. Salvation is not a goal to achieve. It is a gift to receive. And you can't have it both ways. If it's grace, then it's not works. 
And if it's works, it's not grace. Because grace means a gift. Let me read you a scripture, Romans 11 verse 6. And if by grace, if it's by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. And if it's by works, it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Now, here's another way to think of grace and works. Grace would be a gift. Works would be earned. Something that we do that we earn something. Here's what he's saying. If it's a gift, you can't pay for it. You can't earn it. Otherwise, it's not a gift. If, if I came, let's say we just had Christmas a few weeks ago. If I came to your home and brought you a, a Christmas gift. Let's say it's a great big box, beautiful wrapping, and you open the, the box and there's this very expensive present. And you just say, oh, Pastor Robert, this is just beautiful. I just, I just can't believe you're giving this to me as a Christmas gift. I say, yes, I, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to, to give you that as a gift. And then I pull out the receipt and I say, now would that be cash or charge? And you say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I must have misunderstood. I, I, I thought it was a gift. Oh, yes, it's a gift. How would you like to pay for it? It's not a gift. Is that right? It's not a gift. Listen to me. You can't pay for the salvation of God. You couldn't do it before you got saved, and here's what most believers have a problem with, and you can't do it after you get saved. It is either a gift or it's earned, and according to the Bible, it's a gift that must be received. So, number one, it's a gift. Number two, it's eternal life. It's eternal life. Romans 6, 23, for the wages, this is earning again, This is what we've earned. If you want to know what we have earned, we haven't earned eternal life. We've earned death. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 John 2, 25. And this is the promise that he has promised us. By the way, let me just ask you a question. Can God lie? It's great. Three of you don't think he can. Um, Let me just see if anyone else, maybe North Richland Hills and Frisco, you'll get this right. Can God lie? No. Okay. This is the promise. I'm reading you out of the Bible. This is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. That's a good promise, by the way. 1 John 5, 13, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, not that you may think, but that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know that you have eternal life according to the Bible if you believe in Jesus. And we're going to talk about in a moment what the Bible means when it says the word believe. It is eternal life. So again, because I have seven points, I can't spend much time on each of them. So I have one question about eternal life. Well, actually two. Two questions. Here's number one. How long is it? Forever. But here's what we don't understand. When does it start? See, many people think, well, it starts when I die. No. Well, actually, it does start when you die. It starts when you die to self. It starts when you die to your own way. And when you accept Jesus, from that moment on, you're living forever. See, you have to understand something. I died when I was 19 years old. In a motel room, I gave my life to Jesus. I died to self. Jesus came in, and now Jesus lives inside of me. And there's going to come a day when Jesus is going to say to me, listen, we've been living in your house for a long time now. Let you and I go live in my house. And when he and I leave, this body's going to fall down dead. You're going to gather around and say, oh, what a shame, Pastor Robert died. (laughs) But you're too late. I died when I was 19. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. That's what the Bible says. 
That's what it is. That's why there are a lot of people who think they're saved that aren't saved because they haven't died yet. But once you die, eternal life begins. Does eternal life begin when you get saved or is God waiting to see if you'll be good enough to achieve it one day? No, it's a gift and it's eternal life. Here's number three, it's forgiveness. It's forgiveness. Acts 13 verse 38, therefore let it be known to you brethren that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. Let me read you two other verses. Jeremiah 31, verse 34. I will forgive their iniquity. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Now, I want you to remember this. This is God talking that can't lie. We agreed on that. At least most of us did. I want you to remember this. I will remember your sins no more. And Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west. Is there anyone here that can figure out how far that is? So far has he removed our transgressions from us. Let me tell you what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is complete release from the penalty that was against us. Not partial release, not a little bit of release and see if we'll be good enough to get the rest of it. It is complete, total release. He has, this, he has chosen to remember my sins no more. Let me say it another way. I'm standing in front of the judgment and uh, let's say that, uh, that one of the angels says, hey God, This Robert Morris, uh, tell me some of the sins that he did while he was on earth. God will say, yeah, I can't remember any. I just, I can't remember them. Now, it's not that he can't because he's omniscient. We know that. It's that he's chosen. He makes a choice when I accept his son to remember my sins more. And then he takes my sins and he removes them as far as the east is from the west. Listen, he is not going to travel to the east and the west and get them back because he's promised me eternal life. Do you realize this is a better deal than you think it is? It's a pretty good deal. So forgiveness, that's number three. Number four, it's justification. It's justification. Being saved is being justified in the sight of God. Romans 3.24, being justified freely. Just want you to notice the word freely. You can't earn it. Freely by his grace through the redemption, we're going to talk about redemption later on too, that is in Christ Jesus. Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. No one will be justified by the works of the law, only by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the word justified, the root of it is the word just. And we also get our word justice from that word. What it means to be justified in the sight of God is it means that God is a just God. Now, listen to me carefully. And it is justice for him to sentence me, listen, to heaven. See, people get this so mixed up. They say, now, why would God send anyone to hell, a loving God? God doesn't send people to hell. We're already on our way to hell. God, in his grace, sends us to heaven. That's what God does. Because Jesus paid the full price. So, since Jesus, listen, since Jesus paid my full price, if I receive it, God has to let me go free. Because he's a just God. He can't punish two people for the same crime. He's already punished his son, Jesus. And when I accept that, I'm free. 
This is better than you think it is. Are you following me? I've been justified freely by His grace. So it's justification. Here's number five. It's righteousness. Can't believe I'm doing seven points in one sermon. I'm, I am a great preacher. Number five, it's, it's righteousness. I'm as surprised as you are. All right. Romans 4 verse 3, for what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, the first thing we need, we have to zero in on two words here, righteousness. Righteousness means right standing with God. It doesn't mean doing the right thing. That's righteous, righteous living. It means doing the right thing. But righteousness means being in right standing with God. Now, let me tell you why we can be righteous and have righteousness in God's sight. Because Jesus did the right thing. We didn't do the right thing. But his son did the right thing. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Accounted, the root word again is account. And it's, it's like the word accounting. So it's literally talking about accounts. We all know about having so much in our account, this account or that account, or moving something from one account to the other. Here's what happened. In my account, there was sin. Sin was in my account. Jesus' account was righteousness. Now, here's what God did. He took all of the sin out of my account and put it in Jesus' account. That's why Jesus died for my sins. He was... Uh, found guilty of my sin. The Bible says that God has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, listen to me. God has actually taken the sin of the whole world and put it in Jesus's account. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Every person in the world's sins have already been paid for. They've all been paid for. Now, they're not all saved. You want to know why? Because you have to believe and you have to accept Jesus as your savior. So, here's what happens. God took all of my sin and put it in Jesus' account. When I believed, then he took Jesus' righteousness and put it in my account. That's what this says. When Abraham believed God, God put righteousness in his account. You have to understand, though, that you have a choice. Every person in the world's sins have already been paid for. Of course, some of you would say, well, then why, why are people going to go to hell? Oh, well, it's simple. The Bible doesn't say he that sins goes to hell. It says he that believes has life. He that doesn't believe doesn't have life. See, my sin's already been paid for. Your sin's already been paid for. What it's like is God has put millions and millions of dollars in your account, and someone tells you about it, and you say, oh, I don't, I don't want to go down and, and get it out. That's what it's like not accepting Jesus. It is a free gift. It is a free gift. It's eternal life. It's the forgiveness of all sins. It's being completely justified before God, and it's being righteous before a holy God, and it's free. How can you pass that up? How could you ever pass that up? That's what salvation is. So it's righteousness. Here's number six. It's redemption. Now, we don't talk a lot about this, but I think it's extremely important to understand. It's redemption. We read a moment ago, being justified freely by His grace to the, in, in whom we have redemption. Let me read you another verse that refers to this. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, or do you not know, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? 
whom you have from God. Now watch this phrase. And you are not your own. You don't belong to you if you've been saved. You're not your own. Verse 20, for you were bought at a price. You were purchased. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The word redeemed means to purchase back. God gave ownership or the deed of the world to Adam and Eve. He gave them dominion. Adam and Eve lost that to Satan. Jesus came and legally purchased it back. He purchased the world and every person in the world. He owns them all now. But he created you in his image. So because you're created in the image of God, you have a will. And you can choose whether you want to serve God or not serve God. So he's already purchased you. He's paid for it if you choose to become his, listen, property. This is something we don't talk about a lot. You are not, if you're saved, you are not your own. You don't belong to you anymore. I can remember it not long after I got saved, Satan started working on me, and I started getting tempted to go back to that old lifestyle. It was like God reached out and grabbed me by the neck and pulled me up like this and said to me, did you ask me to be your Lord? And I said, uh, yes. He said, well, I'm going to be your Lord then. <laughs> if you've been saved, you've had that experience. You've had Jesus say, you're not going back. You belong to me now. You're mine. You're my child now. It's redemption. Now, I got one more point. All this sounds wonderful. It's a gift. It's eternal life. It's forgiveness. It's justification. It's righteousness. It's redemption. What's the catch? Now, I don't really like this term or this little phrase. But I want to put it out there because I think it's important to think about this. It's free. What's the catch? Well, here's number seven. It's total commitment. That's the catch. There are a lot of people who want to have fire insurance. And they go to church because they don't want to go to hell. And they even do some churchy things. But Jesus isn't the Lord of their life. Let me read you a few scriptures and we're just about to Matthew 7. Luke 6, verse 46 says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do what you want to do? Why do you even go through the motions is what he's saying. Because I'm not the Lord. You're still in control. And then Matthew 7, if you're there, look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. That's pretty amazing right there. Not everyone who calls me Lord is going to go to heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many, notice this word many, not a few, will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Notice again, they call him Lord. Now watch what they say. Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders or miracles in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now this is amazing. He didn't say there are going to be a few people to say this to me. He said there are going to be many. Many are going to say to me, Lord, we, we prophesied. We cast out demons. Now, I just want you to think about something. Where are these people that are saying this? Just, just to be kind of clear here, they're probably not in the bars. They're probably in church. I mean, where else do you prophesy and cast out demons? Church. 
So if many people who attend church aren't saved, many people who say, Lord, Lord, they say it. They literally, they're not calling Buddha Lord. They're not calling Mohammed Lord. They're calling Jesus Lord. Yet he's going to say, I never knew you. And here's the other thing. Think about this. If many people actively engaged in ministry are not saved, how many more just attend church every now and then? And this is what he said. I'm going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. I want you to notice that word never. He didn't say, I knew you, but I don't anymore. See, people have said, now see, that proves that, that you can lose your salvation. Oh, it proves exactly the opposite. <laughs> he said, I never knew you. We never met. You've never been saved. Therefore, you aren't being saved and you won't be saved because you've never had the past tense experience yet. You've never come to a place where you've given control of your life, Lord. And listen, there are a lot, and I believe children can be saved. My wife got saved at nine, but it's still, it's the same thing for an adult. It's submitting your will. There are a lot of children who make a decision, but now you're grown up. You have a choice. And I want to know as a grown up, are you in charge of your life? Are you the boss? Because if you're, you say, well, how can I know? How can I know if I'm really saved? It's real simple. Who's the boss? Who's the boss? Who makes the decisions for your life? If you're still in charge, listen to me carefully, you're going to go to hell. Someone needs to be bold enough to tell you that. And listen, when you stand before God, you can never say, no one told me, because I'm telling you today. I'm telling you today that it takes total commitment to receive this free gift. Hebrews says it this way, there's a covenant. And the covenant is not in force until both people die. Jesus already died. It's time for you to die. I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about you die to yourself in your spirit and your soul. And you say, no longer will I live my life to please me. From now on, I live my life to please you. My life is not my own anymore. It's yours from this day forward. And if you haven't made that decision in your will, you're going to go to hell. Unless you make that decision today or at some point before you die. Uh, I've had people say, well, but it says believe. Well, let me just explain that. Satan believes. He believes and trembles. <laughs> he really believes, but he's not going to heaven. You want to know why? Because he won't submit his will to the Lordship of Christ. We, we have some successful businessmen that are on their way to hell because you won't, you won't give control over. You must, must, must yield control. He is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He doesn't take second place. He doesn't play games. You know, um, some of us around this time of the year get a flu shot. I don't know if you know what a flu shot really is, but a flu shot really is a counterfeit of the flu. That's what it is. It's a counterfeit. And you take it into your body and it tricks your body in the thinking that you have the flu or you might be getting the flu. And so your body's own immune system then begins to develop what it needs to to fight that. But listen carefully. It's like a little bit of the flu, but it's a counterfeit. There are a whole lot of people that have received a little bit of Jesus or a little bit of religion really. And it's a counterfeit. And it actually tricks them into thinking they've got the real thing. 
And so they believe they're going to go to heaven. Now, I'm telling you, please hear me. You can do something about this today. You just have to believe and receive. Receive the gift. And, and I've got a question for you. I thought about this when I was praying this week over this message. If you have any doubt whether you've been saved or not, why would you not do it today? I mean, this is an eternal question. This is eternity we're talking about. Eternity. You're in church. It's a great place to be saved. What? Why, why would you not do it? Some of you have doubted for years. You've had doubt after doubt after doubt. Why not just do it? Why not just say, today, I give you everything. I make a total commitment of my life to Jesus Christ today. And you can be forgiven and justified and redeemed and saved. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. The reason I'm asking you to close your eyes at all the campuses is not because I'm trying to manipulate you in any way at all. It's because I want you to just have a moment with God. Just have a moment with God. Some of you need to make the most important decision of your life. I've talked with several people in in Guest Central this weekend. Several were raised Catholic. They knew about Jesus. They believed in Jesus. But they never really gave their life to Jesus. It's like they had just enough of religion to trick them into thinking they were Christians. But they haven't made that decision. I talked with several people. One lady I spoke with was a minister's wife. A minister's wife. She said, I used to sit in church and think, I I don't get it. I just don't get it. I mean, yes, I know Jesus, Son of God, and all that. But I don't understand how all these people just pour their hearts out to God in worship. I just don't get it. And she said to me with tears in her eyes, I got it today. I got it today. I got saved. And I saw in her eyes exactly what was in my eyes in that motel room when I got saved. After growing up in church and knowing and believing that Jesus was the Son of God, when there came a point in my life, in my will, by an act of my will, I surrendered. I'm asking you to surrender today. Total commitment. Now, if that's you, and if you have a doubt in your mind and you want to give everything to Jesus today, I want to just lead you in a very simple prayer. I'm not even asking you to pray it out loud, just in your heart. The Bible says if you'll believe in your heart. So I'm asking you just to pray this in your heart. Just If that's you, whether you're at South Lake, North Richland Hills, or Frisco, just, just pray this in your heart. Just, just, just say right now to God, just say, dear God, just tell him that in your heart. Just say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. We've all sinned. We've all made mistakes. And I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. And I believe that Jesus died for me. And I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Now, no one looking around again, but at all the campuses, if you prayed that prayer and you gave your life to the Lord, would you just put your hand up where I can see it? Put it way up high. I mean, you ought to be proud to put it up. It's the best decision you ever made. You ought to be proud. Put it way up high. Way up high. And if you're in South Lake at the second level, put it up. I can see you. God bless you. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Now, I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. It's very, very important. Remember, I quoted a moment ago part of a verse to you. It says, if you believe in your heart, but the rest of the verse goes on to say, and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. There is something that happens when we confess it with our mouth. 
according to the Bible. It is an act of our will. And so if you prayed that prayer and you gave your life to the Lord, I'm asking you, no matter which campus you're attending, in just a moment, we're going to stand. As soon as we stand up, I want you just to stand up and step out and come to the front to one of our leaders and to just, not, out, not in front of everybody, I'm not saying that, but just to one person and say, I gave my life to Jesus today. I made a total commitment in my life. Now listen, don't stay in your seat when we do this because that's what we just talked about, total commitment. Don't say, well, I'm praying my heart, but I'm not going down there. We talked about total commitment. Will you give everything to Jesus? And you ought to be proud to come. You ought to be pleased to come. You ought to be excited to come and to give your life. No more straddling the fence, one foot in, one foot out, a total commitment today. So I'm going to pray. After I pray, we'll stand at all the campuses. And as soon as we stand up, you just stand up and you just step out, come to one of the leaders. We'll need all of our leaders at all the campuses. If you're an altar ministry person, we need all of you especially in this service, all right? Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll draw every person, give them the courage to come who prayed that prayer in Jesus' name, amen.